The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 7. A Little Change. September 20th, Fox and Hounds. Nothing in life is fair, and nothing would be fair while we were pledging. That was for certain. It didn't take the brothers long to make us realize that every day we pledged, it was us versus them. We'd figured that the lock-in event was just the tip of an iceberg that we were going to wish we never got stuck on. We were right. LT didn't help things by telling us that fox and hounds would make or break us. F&H, known as fox and hounds, was the first time in my life I participated in ritualized hazing. It sucked, but the story is awesome. By talking to the brothers before the event, we were able to surmise that the hounds had to catch the foxes. Two brothers would be the foxes, the last two initiated into the fraternity, and my pledge class would be the hounds. If we were able to catch the foxes, then we would all get hazed together. The idea seemed simple enough, but there was no way we would make it out ahead. I had a feeling we weren't going to get a fair shake, and so did my pledge brothers. When it was time for the event, we went to the main fraternity house. We walked over with our Chuck Taylor shoes on, ready to take on the world. It seemed innocent enough. They called us in and had us line up against the wall. The house's main party room was filled with more fraternity brothers than we had ever seen in one place before. There were a lot of faces I didn't recognize. Their silk letters, on hoodies, t-shirts, and sweaters, looked almost mesmerizing. They were there for a show, and they would get one. After the cheering of our arrival ended, LT explained the event in full detail. He started by saying, Welcome to Fox and Hound, Schmags. I didn't know what a schmag was, but it didn't matter. The brothers were roaring out with cheers. Some were even so excited that when they raised their arms, they spilled beer on the floor and one another. When the cheering stopped, LT started his explanation of the event. He explained the event with such pride, it was as if he was letting us participate in something that was not only important to the fraternal pledge process, but personally important to him and all of the brothers. The objective of the event was for any of us to catch Chippy or Eric, the brothers that had gotten into the fraternity the prior semester. LT told us that we would be working in teams to solve clues, and each clue would lead to a station. We would have to run from station to station. The stations were each SIG-H-owned houses all over campus. We would have to solve the clues quickly to get to the station before Chippy and Eric so that we could catch them. Each clue would lead us to the next house, event, and if we beat Chippy and Eric to the house, they would have to participate in an event with us. If we got caught by the police for whatever reason throughout the night, under no circumstances were we to say that we were pledging a fraternity. If they knew we were pledging a fraternity, we were never to say what fraternity we were pledging. We had to give LT our pledge pins at the beginning of the event. He said that it was so we wouldn't lose them. It was also in case we decided to quit partway through the event, or if we got caught drunk and arrested. We could not cut through campus if we had to travel from the light side to the dark side of the town. That way, nobody would see us all together, running, drunk, and covered in shit. That went for that night, and any night following. We were never to tell any authority that we were pledges of SIG-H. This was for a few reasons.
It would make the fraternity look bad. Cops would target the fraternity. And because we were all illegal, first semester freshman pledges. For our pledge class, we thought it would be relatively easy to get from location to location, jogging in a group. We were all in great shape. James and Tony surfed all day, every day. John was pretty jacked from playing football. And at the time, my cardio was insane. We all had our physical strengths and weaknesses when it came to athleticism. We thought we were going to crush the event. It also seemed that our questioning of the brothers before the event yielded somewhat accurate information. When LT finished explaining the rules, we received our first clue. Our clue was as follows. It's a house near you where there lives a brother, or more than two. What a terrible clue, I thought to myself. There were tons of Sig H houses that had more than one brother in it in the area. Then we put our minds together. And by our minds, I mean James figured it out by himself. He called out, Barrera's house. Trent Barrera lived with two other brothers, Ron Russo and Jordan Jacob, JJ for short. Their house was about two blocks away from the fraternity house. It was directly beside the sweetheart house where Patrick O'Connor and two Sig H sweethearts lived. As soon as we had figured out that Trent Barrera's house was the answer to the clue, we raced to his house for the next station. Brothers were shouting and screaming for us to hurry, or we wouldn't beat Chippy and Eric. Chippy and Eric were already out the door. They had a good two-minute head start. We raced to Trent Barrera's house, but didn't even see Chippy and Eric. I think that uh, it's the hardest part when we were pledging and starting that event is that we had no idea how many brothers were actually in the fraternity. So to play a game where the relay race is based off of trivia on where these people live or who they are, who they live with, is exceedingly hard for a pledge. Which is why you're supposed to knock out so many interviews. Exactly. But this is only the second or third week. So in our little minds, we're like, who needs an interview? What good does that? We've got all this time. Exactly. But time was not on our side. It must have taken a shortcut, because we sprinted so hard, we had no air left in our lungs after three blocks, and neither Chippy nor Eric seemed like they were more athletic than our pledge class. Trent's house was almost a straight shot from the main chapter house, so the fact we didn't see them made us think they teleported. We knew things would be rigged. A gross head start, knowing the answers to event questions and trivia, but this is when we realized Chippy and Eric were using a car. This started to support my idea that there wasn't going to be any winning in our future that night. When we got to Trent Barrera's, there were fraternity brothers there waiting for us, with more pouring the door behind us every second. Other brothers were casually walking from the fraternity house to Barrera's house. Some were even so lazy, they were driving over. Trent's house wasn't a house. It was an apartment. The apartment building was three or four floors high and had one unit on each floor. It was a brick building that had large balconies on each floor. The top apartment belonged to a new Alpha brother who had had a party a few days earlier where someone was hit in the head with a bottle during a brawl. Trent's apartment was a sub-basement level unit, which was cool because the apartment had a tiny patio that was like a trench. I had only included that part about the bottling because... People talked about that for like a week or two, like it was the biggest, coolest drama. So it just stuck in my mind. The apartment had three rooms and was much cleaner than the fraternity house. 
It lacked many smells and stains that made the main chapter house what it was. As soon as we entered the apartment door, I made eye contact with Chippy, who had a smile from ear to ear. A smile that I would be seeing a lot that semester. Too slow, Schmegelas. They called us into the kitchen, which was probably 16 square feet, and was made even tighter because of the giant blue Rubbermaid container that sat in the center of the kitchen. We sat around our blue Rubbermaid container, quiet as field mice. I wondered what was next, and why we were sitting around that stupid Rubbermaid container. The brothers started chanting their song again, a chant we'd heard many times. Callum mimicked Chippy's evil smile for a second, and said, Are you guys thirsty? He kneeled down to open up the stove. A small blast of heat came out, and I turned my face away. When I turned back to see what was in the stove, there sat warm forties for each of us to drink. They varied from cheap to dirt cheap beers. He grabbed the bottles, one at a time, and passed them to each of us pledges. I hope you guys like warm piss, because this is the champagne of piss right here, Jordan chimed in. Okay guys, we're all... The champagne of piss. Yeah, high life? Yeah, it was High Life and Mad Dog, and I can't even remember all of the other disgusting ones because people don't drink them unless they're broke. Yeah, the Mad Dogs were torture. And then all of us are in probably a 16 square foot space with this Rubbermaid container as well. So we're almost on top of each other. All about giving you chances. We're going to chant a song, and you guys are going to memorize it and chant it back to us. The chance at avoiding the warm bottles sitting in front of us seemed like a gift from the Greek gods, except we knew we were going to somehow get screwed. The fraternity began their chant, which sent chills down my neck and arms. They were so unified in their chants. Hi ho sig h, eat a bag of shit. Cunt hair douchebag, suck your mother's clit. We're the best fraternity and all the others suck. Sig myota gamma eta ra ra fuck. The entire apartment shook from them yelling. When they were done, the hairs were sticking up on my arms. Holy shit, that was intense. It took a lot of redos to get that right without improperly saying the fraternity name. Yeah, I can only imagine. I was even watching you, and it was like you were lipping it with your eyes. And then when it came to that part, you're like, oh, look at that. He did it. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking about, too. I was like, how is he going to translate this? Because there's, there's the letter difference. Yeah, absolutely. There are no fraternities with four letters, just so everybody knows. So Sig H is a play on the book's name, so I got hazed. Sigma Iota Gamma Eta. It all comes together. <laughs> I said to myself, Now it's your turn, Chippy said. We looked at one another and counted down from three. Three, two, go. Hi ho, Sig H, eat a bag of shit. Suck your mother's clit. We yelled together, until being interrupted by every brother in the apartment at once. We had our chance, and we blew it. Oh no, the brothers said in unison. They started saying we failed, that we were wrong, and some screamed, what the fuck? I equate this moment to being in another country and trying to learn their national anthem with some really strong nationalists that are not happy that you can't learn it. There were so many heckles flying through the air. We had not only failed, we had epically failed as a group. Eric said, Warm 40s, drink up, boys, pointing at the bottles. 
I thought to myself, okay, this is it. I can drink a warm 40. I looked at each of my pledge brothers, and they seemed a tad hesitant. We all started pounding our 40s and throwing up into the Rubbermaid container. The brothers had given us a chance to save ourselves from drinking the 40s, but we were incapable of memorizing their fraternity's chant as a group in one shot. Our pledge class was not by any means unified yet. We barely knew one another, and we certainly weren't close enough to properly work together to get out of hazing. With all of those factors combined, plus the added pressure of the fraternity brothers yelling at us, meant our continued failure throughout the night would almost be a certainty. After the brothers stopped us, they gave us a second chance to memorize the chant. Jordan Jacobs spoke up. All right, we're going to give you guys one more chance to not have to drink these. If you fail this time, then you're all going to have to finish those 40s, and these ones too, before you leave. We're going to repeat this one more time for you guys, so here it goes. They shouted their chant that we were supposed to memorize again for us, but it didn't matter, because we would fail when it was our turn. We drank more warm beer, and the process repeated. Any individual that's never been in a group hazing situation, there's this cool dynamic that actually happens naturally, and I'm sure you can attest to this, Eric. When half the group has to start drinking something disgusting and they can't finish it themselves, they just automatically pass it to the next guy. Right. Use your resources. Yeah, but it's, it just happens naturally. It's not like you were yelling at us and saying, pass that 40 to the next guy. It was just like, this is as much as I can drink and throw up. This other guy is going to have to do the rest for me. Uh, yeah, I definitely remember in in... In situations without without revealing things to come, there were definitely situations where the team dynamic was very important. Agreed. And it's very naturally forming when you're getting hazed. Which is probably why the U.S. military does it still to this day you come you come together against a common enemy <laughs> exactly kind of to sidebar for a second um anybody that thinks that hazing isn't alive and well in some of maybe their favorite programs i sat down and i watched the bachelorette with my wife the other day while she was eating dinner <laughs> and one of the contestants was voted the biggest baby of the week and the next week he had to carry a little cabbage patch baby doll around with him everywhere that he went and i said to my wife that's hazing. She said, what do you mean? I said, do you think he wants to carry that baby around? It makes him look like an uh, inferior human being, like he's weak, and now he has to carry this object with him everywhere he goes. 100% what that is. So any Bachelorette fans out there, hazing's even in your show. Each time, we're slowly learning more of the chant. On the last of the tries, we all looked at each other and counted down. One, two, three. Hi ho, sig h, eat a bag of shit. Cunt hair, douchebag, suck your mother's clit. We're the best fraternity and all the others suck. We had two lines left, and Tony blurted out, Rah, rah, fuck. We drank more warm beer, puking into the blue bucket. When we'd finish a bottle, they'd pass us a fresh one from the oven. This is the other natural dynamic of hazing, is that when the group can memorize something and the weakest link cannot, 
the group retaliates against the weakest link. It might not be right away. It might be a subconscious thing. It might be something that starts to build up into like the retaliation bank and then it explodes one day. It's like a, with the lock party from uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> exactly. Were they locks or soap? I thought it was soap in a sock. It was soap, I think. Yes. They told us that we were lucky that they were disorganized. They would have gotten more 40s for us to drink, and they would have been hotter. One of the brothers broke into a story about when how he was pledging. He had to drink three 40s by himself, and so did each of his pledge brothers. Not to mention, but he mentioned it anyways, that they were warmed up in the oven all day, not just a few hours. There was always that one brother that had to be like, back when I pledged, we had to walk uphill naked backwards and blindfolded while drinking beer that had been sitting for five days inside a pig's stomach. Common occurrence. He said it was like drinking burning hot fire, and he had an agonizing feeling afterward from the bad booze. Every time I tried to drink the hot beer, I thought to myself, don't puke it up, Mike. If you puke it up, they're all going to think you're a pussy. Look at the way they're reacting to Knowles, fake puking it up right there. He's basically letting it dribble out of his mouth. I hadn't puked a whole lot in public before, or in front of strangers, so I was holding it back the best I could. We were all trying to hold back from puking, but it was hard when we were pounding warm beers. I never had a problem with pulling the trigger to save myself, but this was terrible. I saw John Knowles fake throwing up and just spitting his beer back into the bucket. This was something he would do in the future. Every fucking time we got hazed. The lucky motherfucker. Some of the brothers thought that was just how he threw up. Tony was sipping on his 40 like it was a baby's bottle, and James was devouring his bottle. The brothers said that because Tony wasn't drinking his fast enough, I had to drink it, so he passed it to me. I had to do a quick cold sore analysis of Tony's lips before I was willing to drink the bottle. In the few seconds of me thinking, Chippy said, Stop pausing, you fucking pussy. It's not like he has AIDS. I pounded the bottle and spewed my stomach's contents into the bucket. I was like the only one that was prepared to catch a disease off this shit and was like, hmm, how can I mitigate my risk here? <laughs> and on top of which, it's kind of a stinker that I'm having to drink the warm beer that Tony can't finish because... Tony couldn't finish the last two lines of what we had to memorize. So it goes back to, oh, now I'm starting to not like you a lot, man. It's, it's working. It is working. You turn your enemies against your, themselves so that they're not angry at you and vindictive against you. It's like hazing art of war. Psychological warfare. Not just baby pukes like previously. This was full-blown. The brothers cheered like they hadn't cheered before. They found my puking absolutely awesome. They screamed, He popped! Popping was later explained to me as the big puke, where you puke everything you have in your stomach up. This is the biggest of all in someone's series of pukes. Something that nobody had phrases for. They had. I think that this night broke me for the next 20 plus years because even to this day now, when I puke, my neighbors 10 doors down can probably hear it. When I got home from school, when I came home, I started working for my parents' job. And uh, there were there were times like Monday morning after a night of Sunday drinking 
where my mom would send like I would go to the bathroom Monday morning and come out of the bathroom and my mom would just be looking at me like I can't listen to that all day. You have to go home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we became very loud performance pukers. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Projectile performance. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, maybe I'll like keep some rotten milk in my fridge for like a day or two just so that you can hear it. But like it is, we are outstanding performance pukers, Hollywood. I think, I think it comes with like learning how to not fight it. Yes. When you when you, when you don't fight the puke anymore, and you just let like you feel it, and you're just like, all right, here it's coming. Uh, it it just it just flows out of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you have one of those long balloons in your stomach, like the clowns at birthday parties have, and then somebody just pops it, and it all just comes out at the same time. Absolutely. They had phrases for everything. Normally puking wouldn't be group entertainment either. Something that normal people would not find entertaining, the brothers loved. They were laughing and cheering. I wasn't about to drink any more of Tony's bottle, so I passed it along to John. We kept passing the bottles around as the brothers kept adding more into our circle. I didn't put this in there, but I remember the first time I passed it to John, he literally looked at me with this pissed off look on his face and immediately passed it to James. He didn't even drink it. He was like, fuck you. I'm not drinking this. (laughs) And then to myself, I'm thinking, it's Tony's anyways. I'm trying to help out. At this moment as well, this is the turning point in my life where puking became some sort of disgusting, vile act to this is actually kind of funny to watch somebody else puke in these situations. You learn to tolerate it. And it's not like a sadistic, I'm so happy this person's in pain thing. It's just you start to understand what puking really is. And you're like, oh, you'll feel so much better. And that was great to watch. (laughs) The Rubbermaid container looked like we had simply poured all the 40s into it and mixed in carrots, chicken fingers, and tacos. It was quite the liquid rainbow. It was disgusting, and it was only the first station of the event. The phrase, misery enjoys company, could not be more spot on than it was in this situation. It was like we had our own little world around that Rubbermaid bucket. We were talking to one another about how much drinking the beers sucked, and Tony was saying he wanted to quit. I told him that it was just puking. It would be okay. We kept drinking until there was nothing left in the bottles and nothing left in my stomach. We all got a big reality check of what pledging would be like. What we had just experienced was ritualized group puking. Which I'm almost thankful for because in my entire life I've never accidentally devoured poison and not been able to throw it up. I had never puked with a group of people on purpose before. It wasn't completely awful. While it was happening, it was kind of funny. The next clue was, this next station is beside a house, named after something you get during the holidays. I knew this one. It was Patrick O'Connor in the Sweetheart's house, right next door to what they called the Gingerbread House. The Gingerbread House was owned by a friend of some of the fraternity brothers as well. The Sweetheart House was only 30 feet away from Trent's apartment. We solved the clue and took off to the Sweetheart's house. When we got outside, we tried to catch the nibs. We did catch Chippy, but it was a little late since he was already at the sweetheart's house. James and Tony caught him in front of the house. 
He must have just been standing there, because at the rate we had said earlier, there was no way we could catch him or Eric if they were running to a house only one lot away. So true, right? So after the first relay, we ran like a hundred meter dash, even though it was probably like a thousand meters to their house or 2000 meters to their house. And then we didn't see you at all. So that's how we knew you like teleported. And then these houses are almost next door to each other for the first to second event. And somehow Tony and James catch you guys. Yeah, this this slow ones. (laughs) Yes. But they are also the only ones that went to the front of the house. John and I went through the back of the house. Because we had just given up all hope and ability to be able to catch you. Which I suppose is also a testament to Tony and James's character because they never gave up. Yeah. Chippy walked inside with a look of disappointment on his face because he was caught by James. It looked like Chippy and Eric would both be drinking with us because in the middle of the sweetheart's living room lay another giant Rubbermaid storage bin. The sweethearts let out their sweetheart chant. It was a Where the hell are you guys getting all these Rubbermaid containers from? Walmart. Walmart must be selling Rubbermaid containers like they're going out of style in Radford. Amazing on so many different levels. We are Sigage sweethearts. We ladies do it right. Slam it, suck it, eat it, fuck it, rock your world all night. Representing Sigage like you wouldn't fucking know. Who we? We're Sigage. Bomb dirty, rotten hoes. It was the sexiest chant I had ever heard in my entire life. All sang by sexy girls, with a few non-sexy strays mixed in. I was in awe, listening to them screaming at us. It was the first time in my life I had ever had a girl scream at me like that, let alone six of them. I'm not trying to disparage our fraternity at all, but for whatever reason, the sweetheart chant is more gritty and awesome than our fraternity's chant. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I I couldn't remember the sweetheart's chant. That was that was uh, that's a that's a memory tripped on memory lane right there. When they say "Who we bomb dirty rotten hoes," oh, that sends a chill down my spine <laughs> even to this day. What uh, what would you say the not the not hot strays or what was the word the phrasing the way you said that i said uh it looked like there was a lot of hot girls there with a couple non-hot strays mixed in oh no it's strays that that's my uh that's gonna be my next band name non-hot strays i like it it was crazy and was awesome at the same time i had hoped that they wanted to rape us i would have even let the strays join in so they wouldn't feel left out to my dismay It was not a physical rape, but a verbal one. See, I was including the strays. Also, (laughs) verbal rape is the worst rape, and I'm going to go into why that is in a second. They were there to yell at us, and we couldn't say anything back. This was the worst kind of demeaning rape to a man. A screaming mind rape by a woman. They weren't just kicking our asses verbally. They were full-blown raping our minds. They were screaming and yelling at the top of their lungs calling us worthless, and saying that we wouldn't make it into Sig Age. They continued by telling us that only men were in Sig Age, and they weren't sure if what they saw in front of them were men. Now, I'm only focusing on the the main dialogue here, but the entire time the other ones are screaming, Pussy! Loser! Like every name that you could possibly think of. They said they had a question for us, and we had to answer honestly, and not like a bunch of little cowards. We had to answer with balls, like a man would, like someone with conviction would. 
the sweethearts asked which one of them we would fuck and how we'd fuck them. Chippy and Eric answered first. After they both answered, the sweethearts made them drink out of a handle of vodka. They dry heaved and fake puked into the bucket. We were worried that we were going to be pounding the vodka bottle until it was finished. When I saw you start pounding that vodka bottle, I thought to myself, okay, I could do warm 40s, but this is how people die. <laughs> that was the first thought in my head was, okay, you have to you have to be careful here, Mike. You could die. All of my pledge brothers drank from the bottle too, but only Tony grimaced when he drank from the bottle. When it was my turn, I kept my answer short because I knew whatever I said would be scrutinized. I was honest with my choice, and I picked Jewel. I told her I would fuck her missionary and look her straight in the eyes with deep, long strokes. I thought that sounded pretty damn good and dirty. Maybe enough to even get her a little wet. I was wrong. As if telling a beautiful girl you'd just met how you'd fuck them in front of a group of people wasn't embarrassing enough, she made it worse. She completely exploded in a heat of sweetheart rage. As if you think I'd fuck you, Mike. Oh, that wasn't bad, I thought, until she continued. <laughs> I don't have sex with tall, skinny fucks that look like Shaggy. How? <laughs> she straight up called me Shaggy. <laughs> oh, that's great. In a group full of people, like the girls are yelling at us, but the house is full of fraternity brothers, too. Like the fraternity brothers are being somewhat quiet, but they're all laughing. Even you're laughing. You and Chippy are <laughs> laughing at us, and we just watched you to what I believe is drink vodka. Fuck you, I thought, but didn't have the balls to say. Everyone in the room laughed at her Scooby-Doo reference, but she didn't stop there. I only fuck men, Mike, and you have a long way to go. She was right. Who wants to fuck a boy? But I had fucked women before, Jewel, and I would fuck many more after her comments so I wasn't letting it get through. What was getting to me the most was not being able to say anything back to the sweethearts that were yelling at me. After a few minutes of her non-stop yelling at me, I did want to fuck her, because I figured it was the only way to make her shut the fuck up. Now you have an interesting story about this. Tell me your story. <laughs> so, uh, at my event, in the previous year, or the previous semester, uh, I believe topsoil is the uh yes, topsoil coil. We're going to get there. Um but but she was my choice and it, yeah, that 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 relentless blood curdling screaming in your face uh when I was asked which one I would I would fuck and how uh, I was cocky and I I was I'd, I'll take y'all on like let's 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 have let's have a good time like <laughs> and uh thought I was cool and that would and it was uh oh, you fucking bitch you cop out like that you, like that's not an answer and and Topsoil got right in my face. It was it's like you 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 fucking pussy screaming in my ears and I snapped. I was like, you, you, I fuck you. And she's like, oh how how the fuck would you fuck me? And I was like, I fuck your face and shut you the fuck up. <laughs> the room goes silent and and it's like it's like a record, you know, the scratch. <laughs> and uh, and then a roar of laughter. 
uh, I get handled the bo- I get handed the bottle and it's like drink up. And then before I get the bottle, get snatched out of my hands and dumped out of my head. And then she goes running out of the room, not very happy. Uh, <laughs> as the as the event was concluding, <laughs> the brothers all pulled me aside and were like, "Look, that was uh the funniest shit ever. Uh, but don't ever disrespect your sweethearts again." <laughs> So it was almost like they gave you the left-handed okay. Yeah, like like listen, that was that was hilarious, but also just so you know, bad form. <laughs> <laughs> now, after that, did you did you talk to Topsoil Coil and apologize or did you just not talk to her? I think that that moment was it for me. Like there was never any her and I never got close. We never became friends. I think that was it. <laughs> and she poured the rest of the vodka bottle on your head. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't. I never. I never found out that it wasn't vodka. Okay, perfect. And that, we're actually just about to find that out right now, or at least I am. So since we're divulging that um, before hitting play here, uh, you Tony did already. I did, Tony. but Tony's grimmest. <laughs> Tony Grimace, he made the sour face like, oh, Mike, this one's going to hurt. <laughs> the best actor of us all. He even fooled himself. What a bitch. I couldn't believe her. That was all I could remember thinking. She was still yelling. I had to block it out, not just to stand up and walk out. Out of all of our sweethearts, <laughs> Jewel was the strongest yeller. Even thinking about it now, like her voice could cut through your mental shields. But to this day, I think she's the only one that can still drill in there. I don't think Topsoil yelled at you guys. I don't, <laughs> I don't even think she was there. And if she was, she didn't say a word. I think she learned a lesson. <laughs> she was probably just staring at you like, let's not repeat what happened last year. <laughs> I'd never experienced anything like this in my life. And I was wondering if it was worth it. I was the last one to get the bottle. I was sitting beside Eric, who had drunk the vodka first. When I got the bottle, I couldn't wait to pound it back, unlike my pledge brothers had. When I pounded it back, to my surprise, it wasn't vodka at all. It was water. They had fooled us. The sweethearts, the brothers, and even Tony had fooled me when he drank it. Fucking Tony! <laughs> After they had finished their screaming, they broke it down for us in a non-yelling, soft-spoken manner. If we wanted to make it into the fraternity, we were going to need to lean on all the sweethearts at some point. Without them, we were going to have a tough time making it. They were going to be there for us, for Hell Week, other events, and to talk to, when pledging became too overwhelming, which they said it would. On top of them offering their assistance for the events, and as pledge grief counselors, they told us each of us would have a sweetheart by the end of the pledge process if we held in there. Kyle interrupted and yelled, And if you don't get blackballed first. Fucking Kyle. The sweetheart shot him a glare, and his chuckling interruption quickly turned to a quiet, sober-looking face. He was still grinning that he was watching us pledges suffer. We figured the event was over. We had caught the foxes. We were wrong. When we finished, they told us that we weren't winners, and we would never be winners. There were more stations. The sweetheart said the brothers let us catch them to get us warmed up. 
Someone shouted that there were still six stations, and it was getting late, so we better hurry. Six stations, and we've only done two? What the heck? Oh, and the worst ones are yet to come, too. They are. The worst ones are definitely yet to come. <laughs>